0: May the Lord Jesus be magnified as I prepare to preach the Word this morning. We're going to be studying Isaiah 45. So if you want to turn in your Bibles or look at your wrists or whatever means by which you like to read the Word and follow along, please turn to Isaiah 45. I'm also going to be reading the passage. I have it up here, and so if you did not bring any of those devices... Uh, you may look behind me and see that it's displayed up there. But if you would, would you stand? We stand in honor of the Word of God because this alone, according to itself, according to God Almighty, this Word is useful. It's able to correct, to teach us because we need correction. I need correction. We need teaching. I need teaching, and it's useful for all who want to follow the Lord in righteousness. And so this is the word of the Lord God Almighty spoken through the prophet Isaiah, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 45. This is what the Lord says to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of. To subdue nations before him and to strip kings of their armor. To open doors before him so that gates will not be shut. I will go before you and will level the mountains. I will break down gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. I will give you hidden treasures, riches stored in the secret places, so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. For the sake of Jacob, my servant, of Israel, my chosen, I summon you by name and bestow on you a title of honor, though you do not acknowledge me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me, so that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, people may know that there is none besides me. I am the Lord. And there is no other. Verse 7. I form the light. I create darkness. I bring prosperity. I create disaster. I, the Lord, do all of these things. Church, this is the word of God Almighty spoken to us. Hallelujah. Will you pray with me before we're seated? Lord Jesus, I ask for the grace to fall upon each of us that we might hear and see and recognize that this word is different. Lord, that it is able To cut through to the the soul of our lives. To divide. To bring wholeness and healing in the midst of that which is broken. And so Lord, I pray that we would not come to your word flippantly this morning. And Lord, if we're distracted or hurting, I pray Jesus that the still small voice of God would be heard through this preaching. And I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. 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 Please be seated. Thanks be to God. In 2005, there was an author by the name of Jeanette Wells who wrote a stunning memoir called The Glass Castle. And it later became a movie co-starred by Woody Harrelson and Bree Larson. And this story captivated my heart because it was both heartbreaking and healing. As it unfolds the story about the author's dysfunctional family, I happen to relate to a dysfunctional family and I realize I'm in lonely company with that one. But this family also moved around a lot. They were nomadic, too. They were nonconformist. They didn't abide by the times and the ideologies of the age. And throughout her growing up years, they struggled with poverty. And so one way that her father would distract the children from that poverty, this, of course, when he was sober, He would tell them these tales of building them a glass castle one day. And while I don't want to give away any spoilers, I do want to give a huge takeaway that might help draw this passage that we just read into some further understanding. Because this castle represents a figure of salvation. And the book makes the case that those times may seem bleak, and times may be bizarre and uncertain in your life, this glass castle or this salvation doesn't have to be a fragile dream at all. In fact, it can become a firm and beautiful reality. Would some of us do well to hear that today? That the circumstances in your life right now, though they seem bizarre... And out of sorts, though you might find yourself in some sort of exile, if you will, perhaps you could hear the word of the Lord today, that I am still here, and I am giving you hope. You see, you're not alone in your struggle. The Israelites found themselves as well in Isaiah's prophecy today. They found themselves in this hugely dysfunctional situation. Where home as they knew it had become a shattered relic. So here they are in exile, promised this glass castle of salvation by God and his eternal redemption. But wait a minute. Haven't we been conquered by a pagan empire, Babylon, whom we hate? And so they begin to question where is God? Have you ever found yourself asking, where is God? Will he come through for us? May have been their mantra. Where is this glass castle we've been looking forward to? And as they reflect on this in exile, far away from what was home to them and everything they knew about it, God reminds them, I am still here. Church, God is reminding us the same thing. God is still here. He has not left your circumstance. He hasn't somehow missed it. He's fully aware of your circumstance. He's fully aware of every detail of your life. Can you hear that today, church? And I don't just have you there. I'm not just here. I am giving you hope in the midst of your situation. You see, when times come where we're confronted with the reality of our own exiles, we often understand the stormy confusion that comes. We have a hard time seeing if God's up to something in our lives, but God, throughout His Scriptures and certainly here, repeatedly gives them and gives us hope. And despite what their eyes were seeing, they're probably wrestling with the question of whether or not they can maintain hope in this God and maintain in the hope of the promise of which to come. And so let's look again and focus our attention on verse 1 and see how Isaiah predictively prophesies into their situation. He says, this is what the Lord says to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I take a hold of. You see, at the end of verse 44, if, you've been, if you have read the scriptures before, but if you haven't, Jesus was calling Cyrus his shepherd at the end of verse 44. Now he's prophesying to call Cyrus his anointed. You might find this interesting to know that the Lord refers to him as his anointed. Did you know that this is where the the Hebrew word Messiah stems from? And by giving Cyrus this title, the exiles' heads would have been spinning. And the reason is because, wait a minute, you're telling me that you're calling this pagan non-Jew anointed, shepherd, Messiah, the one who's going to deliver us to the glass castle? Uh, no. I don't think so. And yet, that's precisely what Isaiah was prophesying. God was going to use irregular means to accomplish his sovereign purpose, to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Have you realized today that wherever you are, perhaps God is using irregular and unusual means to accomplish His purposes in your life? And so even though things seemed to be shattered and they, the exiles were upset, God, was speaking hope right into the middle of where they are. And perhaps we can receive hope right in the middle of where we are on this day in 2023. Do you know how that word anointed translates into the Greek when referring to Cyrus? Anyone want to take a guess? Very good. Christ. 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 What's the significance of that? Again, God seems to be using unusual means to accomplish his purposes. Because just like uh, the Israelites in exile were like, you're going to use this guy? So the same was in Jesus' day. Wasn't it Nathanael who famously quipped? Nazareth? Nazareth? This is where the Savior's coming from? Can anything good come from Nazareth? But you, again, God is using unusual means to accomplish his purposes. But you see, the exiles had a distorted view of who, how God was going to actually bring them to this glass castle of salvation. They were looking for a powerful warrior coming in on a Similarly out the enemy. How often do we think similarly? We want God to smote our enemies so that we don't have to struggle, right? Smote's an old-school world for smack down, hurt, maim, kill. I think I might be the only one who thinks like this, but anyway, if you've ever had a bad thought against your enemy, this is not a new thing. And so, how can this speak to us today? Have you ever found yourself in an exile of sorts? Perhaps we could open our hearts to this reality that it is God, as it says in verse 1, who's not only anointing this weird non pagan or pagan non Jew, he's saying to him, I'm going to take hold of your right hand. Do you see that? Think about this. The God of the universe is indicating to them the God who is mighty right hand, amazingly powerful, the God who reached out his mighty right hand to Abraham when he was about to slaughter his son Isaac on Mount Moriah, the God who took hold of Moses' hand at the burning bush, The God who took Joseph's hand, even though his brothers had betrayed him and sold him off to slavery. And the God who took the prostitute Rahab. The spies came to observe the land for Joshua. And this God says to Cyrus, I will take hold of your right hand. Do you realize God will take hold of your right hand as well today? Why are we resistant to the hand of the Lord? God desires, just like He has done throughout the course of human history, God is deeply personal and He wants to take us as well by His right hand. Think for a moment, where does God need to take hold of your hand in your life today? Where does He need to remind you I'm still here. My arm is mighty to save, and I'm giving you hope. Where are those places in your life? You see, though we haven't in the West been displaced often from our homes unless we just didn't pay our mortgage, usually some uh, brutal army doesn't come in and kick us out of our houses. Even though this is common for most of human history, we, ha- has anyone in here ever experienced that form of exile? Me neither. Where someone forcibly takes you out of your home and place of comfort. You see, our points of exile tend to be relational. Do you know what I mean by that? We feel exiled and pulled apart from relationships because of the brokenness In them, yes, which is what we love to focus on. But also the brokenness in us. So we find ourselves in relational exile. We also find ourselves in emotional exile. Have you ever just woken up one day sad and you're like, you can't really put your finger on, why? You're just sad. You're burdened, you're struggling. You're exiled. What about spiritually? Have you ever felt spiritually exiled? Where like I see these people praising and clapping and they seem so happy and yet I feel distant from that. I'm exiled from God. I'm having a hard time hearing his voice. What about vocationally? Have any of you ever lost your job or, or been in between jobs? That can put you in a vocational exile where you feel separate. And somehow things are off in you. These are the types of exiles we struggle with. And yet I want to ask the Lord, can we find the faith to reach back to that mighty hand that reaches out to us? And allow Him to take us by the hand. In fact, we've already done it this morning. I'd like us to take us by the hand. Praying that we would have a sense that God Almighty is here and desires to take us by the hand. Can I pray for us that perhaps somehow, some way, we would feel the touch of God today because He is present in the midst of His people. So bow your hearts with me. And no one's going to look at you if you want to put your hand up figuratively to reach for God. Feel free. We've already done it in worship. God, I ask in the name of Jesus. Lord, as we wait for Your hand to take hold of our hand, we make space physically for this reality this morning. Lord, our thoughts and our minds run away from us sometimes and we find ourselves in exile. We find ourselves to have fallen out of the boat and Lord Jesus, would You reach down Your mighty right hand and take hold of ours. I pray that faith would rise in this place today, Lord Jesus. That we would have faith to realize that you are not standing with your arms folded as we drown. But Lord Jesus, you desire to reach your mighty right hand down to ours. Oh Lord Jesus, take hold of us as we try to take hold of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So that's just verse (laughs) 1. Let's wade through the rest of verses 1 through 3. And let's see why God takes Cyrus and ostensibly us as well by the hand. So that whatever we face, whatever's going on in our life, we would know that the Lord will see us through it. Let's look at what he describes in these, these uh, three verses, one through three. God says, I'll subdue nations before you. Not, not just crozet, nations. He will, dis, he will subdue, that means put it under his foot, nations before you, and strip kings of their armor. Now, strictly translated, that means loosen the loins of kings, which means they're left totally defenseless and totally weaponless. And some of you may uh, remember that our state flag has a symbol on it of a dude with a foot on the chest of someone. That's what's on our state flag. The idea here is that sick Semper tyrannis, which means thus always to tyrants. And in other words, God's saying, I will always keep enemies under my foot. It's not like the enemy's going to get an upper hand on God, ever. It will never happen. And yet we believe this to be so, so often. We think somehow the enemy's going to sneak one in on God. Nothing happens beyond God's purview. And so we don't have to worry about the light's of Cyrus or any Babylonian king or any other leader or ruler from Putin, Putin to Kim Jong-il to Xi Jinping. We don't have to fret because one day they will kneel their knees to the Lord Jesus Christ. One day every tongue will confess and every knee will bow before the God of the angel armies. This is fact in Scripture. We need to bend our hearts to this reality. Amen? He will go before you. He'll level the mountains like a sickle slicing through overgrowth. God will literally clear a path for you and make a path that you can walk on that's flat. How many times do we doubt the mountain in front of us? We look at it and we go, God, that's a big mountain. Instead of kneeling and saying, Lord Jesus, you are the creator of this mountain. You've put me at the base of this mountain. Give me strength to walk forward. This is how a heart of faith responds. But you say, Tom, Tom, come on, man. It ain't that easy. I got a big door in front of me with iron bars. It doesn't seem to open. Well, you might need to be reminded today that God opens doors that no one can open. And He also shuts doors that no one can shut. That's the echo of what He's saying here. He'll break those doors down even if they're reinforced with iron bars. And then He gives this sweet little promise. I will give you treasures of darkness. Riches stored in secret places. We can't find those secret places, brothers and sisters, when we stare at the mountain or when we stare at our banking account or when we stare at the relational exile we find ourselves in. We are only going to get through that mountain when we look to God Almighty from where our help comes. Amen. This is how God reminds us that He is still here and He's giving us hope. Why would he do all of this? Why? Look at the end of verse 3 and into verse 4. God says it a couple of times in case we don't get it. I summon you by name and I added your name. This means that this incomparably rich God Even as we get tired and as we yawn and as we slow blink, this God who clears the way to redemption by His might and power alone summons you personally by your name. Tom, Paul, Emmanuel, Anne. He summons you by your name. In other words, God's saying, come here, dear one. Let me put my arms around you. Because it's here, when you're closest to my heart, that you will find the rest your soul is panting for. Do you remember the scripture? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Jesus said. How I've longed to gather you like a hen does her chicks but you were not willing. Just like it says in this passage, we were not willing. What if God were to call your name today? What if you audibly heard your voice called by God Almighty today? How would you respond? Would you be excited? Would you be embarrassed? Shameful? Think of the time when Jesus called to Mary at the tomb. And as she turned in response to the Lord, she just said, teacher, rabboni. I want to take another moment to turn to Jesus. Because I've been praying all week and I believe he wants to call you by your name today. I believe He wants to speak eternal words into your life and into your spirit. Not the temporal things you've got your focus on today. The temporal things that make you worried and anxious and afraid and tired. I know it's weird to pray during a sermon, especially twice, but don't worry, there's one more coming. Will you pray with me? And would you open your heart of faith And just say, God, here I am. Would you call my name? Lord Jesus, we pause here. And we recognize, Father, that if you called this person, Cyrus, who became one of the greatest kings in the Persian world, by your hand, Lord Jesus, How much more will you call your children? Lord Jesus, I pray in this moment that John would hear his name. That Mary would hear her name. That we, Lord, would hear the voice of God calling us and summoning us to himself. Thank you, Lord, for being such a tender God who calls us personally. Amen. Amen. And so the final thought I'd like to point out to you guys, and I, th- I think this will dovetail a little bit. If you were here last week, uh, Pastor Jeff talked about uh, psalm one nineteen, right? That short psalm, and uh, he he talked about how the scriptures are so much more than we think, and he stated how the scriptures themselves even declare themselves that they create and establish the cosmos. In other words. It's much more than we tend to think the scriptures are. It's not just words on a page. It's not just text. It's not just cute little Hebrew and Greek translations. In fact, Jeff exhorted us to, that our rightful response is to tremble before this word. Have you ever found yourself actually trembling before the word of God, like almost? I don't even know if afraid's the right word. Like, trembled to read it. That was his call. Because in the Scriptures, we find the heart of God revealed. And it's in that place where we realize who God is that we can trust Him. We realize that though He is huge and great and incomparably rich, and does all the things we've talked about to this point, he still is approachable and personable. And so it's out of this that God, through Isaiah, challenges the Israelites in their limited sensibilities that God himself is so much more than they realize. And keep in mind, they're captive. They're they're POWs. They're prisoners of a foreign country. The, and these foreigners didn't acknowledge the stuff and the way that the Israelites did. They worshipped the gods of Ahura Mazda and Marduk. Names you can look up later if you're interested. And so it would seem logical to me that if they're being held captive, that there might be the slightest temptation. If not flat out being intimidated by their captors, to at least be tolerant of what these bad guys are saying. After all, we're prisoners, right? So the temptation would be, yeah, I don't want to say anything to rock the boat, because that might get me in trouble. But how many of us approach our faith this way? We don't want to get anybody in trouble, especially ourselves, and we don't want to look bad on social media that there's some Jesus freak out there talking about this king of kings and lord of lords that's changed their life. We have a tendency to acquiesce just like the Israelites. Or we use the excuse of our relational, vocational, emotional, and spiritual exiles, don't we? Well, I do. But listen to God's bold proclamation in verses 3, 5, and 6. So that you may know that I am the Lord. Can we say, I am the Lord? Lord. Verse 3, I am the Lord, there is no other. Verse 5, so that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, men may know there is none besides me. I am the Lord. You see, it was common in those times to believe that there were two equal and opposing forces, good and evil, light and darkness. This is a concept known as dualism, and it was the the common religious imagination of the Babylonians and of the ancient world. But what does Isaiah say about that? He says, I am the Lord, there is no other. So basically, this, he's thumbing his nose at Marduk and Ahura Mazda and any other god they wanted to come up with. And so again, we don't have to chew our fingernails worrying that Satan's luring in the corner against us, because we serve the rider on the white horse, who one day will come and get his church and say, come to the place I have prepared from eternity for you and enter my rest. Isaiah has made clear that if good and evil do exist, it exists for one reason, and it's solely because God permitted it to be so. I form the light. I create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. Verse 7 says, I, the Lord, do all of these things. And you know, it's so human nature to put God in a box, much like the Israelites of that day did, and even the Persians. We all want to control God in some way. And I'm wondering today if one of the ways we control God is is to say, I don't really want to talk about him during my day because I'm at work. I don't really want to talk about Him at the coffee shop because I'm hanging out with my people. I wonder if that's how we control God and make Him fit into this nice little neat box that we come to and we raise our hands to on Sunday morning, but we leave that box here when we're at the coffee shop or the copier. Could it or wherever... Could it be possible that God would want to make us realize that there ain't no box that can fit me? I, the One, Triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, don't fit in any house built by human hands, much less a box. And so I want to pray for a third time that maybe we could see by the power of the Holy Spirit that God is so much more than we realize. Bow your hearts with me, Father, right now I pray against a fatigued or tired spirit that yawns in your presence? Lord, would you awaken even as we prophesied and even as we sang and played from Isaiah, I'm sorry, Ezekiel 37 earlier, Lord prophesy to dry bones, prophesy to hearts right now, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, that not only would You reach Your hand out to my brothers and sisters, but, and not only call them by name, but that this thought would explode that God, You are so much more than we realize. Lord, could that be so by the power of Your Holy Spirit Amen, amen, and amen. A couple thoughts to close. Because I think it might be helpful for us to make the connection between what the ancient world believes and what our world believes. In other words, what do we do with all of this? Our world, in my opinion, doesn't seem to be as saturated with dualism as much as it does with secularism. You know what I mean by that? In other words, we want to push God and society wants to push God completely out of the conversation. Well, sh- shouldn't the church be the ones who say, why? Why not welcome God into the conversation? You don't have to have all of the answers, God does. We've been told in verses one through seven. It requires faith to believe this. And though the modern world seems hell-bent on pushing God and, and definitely Jesus out of the conversation, let's invite Him in rather than allow Him to be subtly or overtly pushed away. That's our biggest challenge. And that's also our biggest hope. You see, the book of Ephesians says this, that there aren't many lords there aren't many baptisms, there aren't many faiths, Ephesians says there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one Lord over them all. Amen? And so just as Cyrus in this text was the harbinger of good news to the captive exiles, so this is also a type that points us to Jesus, who is the harbinger of good news to all of us. That should be, you should, it, it, to me, that's deeply comforting and deeply personal. Can we remain open to the grasp of God's right hand at ours? Why? Because He alone handles all the affairs of the world. Is He still here or not? If He is, then can we open ourselves to receive Him calling our name? And in that process, I hope by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can release our white knuckle desire for control. And perhaps then we can realize, oh my God, Lord Jesus, You are so much more than I ever thought or could think. And maybe we'll spend eternity calling upon the name of Jesus, marveling in His glorious glass castle. Let's pray. Jesus, thank You. Thank You for Your Word. Lord, thank You that Your Word from Genesis to Revelation all points to Christ. Oh Lord, may we this week seek Your right hand to take hold of us in whatever situation we find ourselves in. Lord, would we open ourselves to Your calling summoning us by name. And Lord, as we spend time with You, whether in Philippians 4.13 or John 3.16 or Isaiah 5, 1, 45, 1-7, Lord, would you open our eyes to realize that you are so much more than we do realize. I ask this in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen. Amen.